We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos in for Mina Kim. Health journalist Jordan Davidson interviewed more than 300 people to find out why millennials and Gen Z are having fewer kids. If people want to see the birth rate increase, we have to make parenthood more enticing for young people. Or feasible, really, doable. From unpaid student loans to concerns about balancing kids and work to fears about the future, we hear why. And tell us, are you reluctant to have kids? Email us at forum at kqed.org. That's next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. In for Mina Kim. Inflation, climate change, student debt, it is heavy out there. Many Americans, especially millennials and Gen Z, are deciding not to have kids. Those who do and don't cite many deeply personal reasons, ranging from economic and environmental worries to their relationships with their parents. And we want to hear from you this morning. Are or were you reluctant to have kids? Please share your story. Or did you struggle with a decision but ultimately decide to have kids? Give us a call starting now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch by Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And I want to say at the outset, this is a judgment-free zone. Let's talk about what you decided, not what's best for other people. And it's also okay if you haven't made up your mind. Uh, We're going to talk to somebody who talked to a lot of people about this, health journalist Jordan Davison. She interviewed more than 300 people about their decision whether or not to have kids for her book. So when are you having kids? And she joins us now. Welcome, Jordan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're already getting a lot of responses, but I want to start just, uh, if we could, with your story. What is your personal story in terms of whether or not you want to have kids or if you've decided yet um, and kind of what inspired you to write this book? Sure. So the inspiration for this book really came from my own personal apprehension. When I was 24, doctors told me I might have a hard time having kids and really kind of nudged me towards making a decision then and there. And I live in New York City. And in New York City, people don't really have kids at 24. Most of the people (laughs) that you see in kind of career trajectories similar to mine, have kids in their late 30s and early 40s, which I kind of assumed that I would have kids in my 30s as well. And so at 24, with student loans and living in a fifth floor walk-up, 
I really didn't know what to do. And I found that there weren't any resources that could help me make a decision. And so in trying to decide for myself and as a journalist and doing research, I really felt like there needed to be a resource that could help people work through that same apprehension that I was feeling. And we should say, I mean, this is a deeply researched book, but it's also meant, as you say, to be really helpful to folks. It's kind of a a guide, essentially, to figuring out navigating your own feelings and options. Um, And you say at the outset, you know, you hope it helps people by the end of the book kind of come to their own decisions. Yes, definitely. And it's not it's not to point people in one direction or the other to say you should have kids or you shouldn't have kids, but to help people understand why they might be feeling the way that they do. And that's through, as you said, a lot of research, studies, um, history, and also through all of the people that I spoke to. And the book includes you know, over 100 of those stories uh, shared in different ways and in you know little uh, personal anecdotes that people can read in addition to the research. Yeah, really sweet vignettes throughout. Well, I, I guess... You know, we said at the top, the birth rate is declining. And I'm wondering, given that this is such a deeply personal choice, were there any kind of broad common themes, reasons folks gave for not choosing to have children that you heard kind of over and over again? Definitely. There are definitely some reasons, but I will say too that it's an incredibly personal decision. And most people don't have one reason. They have three, four, five, uh, 10 even reasons why. Some reasons may weigh heavier on folks than others, but it's very rare for someone to say, this is the sole reason that I'm not having kids. Among the most common reasons that I heard, financial difficulties, people struggling you know, to buy homes, to pay their rent, to you know, make do in a gig economy where they're working multiple jobs, paying off their student loans, financial difficulties, definitely the big one. Uh, a lot of lack of optimism about the future. So that could be climate change, politically, uh, social injustice, and then um, you know personal reasons. So a history of um, trauma. Having parents who are divorced, you know, people really look at their childhoods and think about the tools and the skills that they would need to be successful parents and whether or not they feel like they could give their children as good of a life as they had if they view their childhoods as being positive or if they view their childhoods as being negative, giving their children a better life. And people don't feel like they can do that. Yeah. We're talking to Jordan Davidson, who just wrote a book. So when are you having kids? The definitive guide for those who aren't sure if, when or how they want to become parents. And we do want to hear from you. So I'm going to give out the number again. It's 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. Tell us if you are or were reluctant to have kids or did you struggle with the decision but decide not to or decide to have kids. <laughs> um, you can also hit us up on uh, tw- Facebook and Twitter at KQED forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. And um, Jordan, I can imagine, I know you've talked in the past about how actually, you know, people hate the question, like, are you having kids? But actually, people are really open. And we found that too. We already got responses before the show started. Um, I'm going to read a few and then go to one of our callers. 
Leon writes, we can't afford kids and rent. We can't even afford to buy a home. It would be irresponsible to have a child who will need a lot of financial resources we barely have for ourselves. Another listener writes, just kids in this climate? <laughs> and someone else says, I'm reluctant because of climate change. So pretty similar, Jordan, right, to, to some of the, the myriad responses you, you received. Definitely. And that kids in this climate comment is so funny because that's actually one of the titles of one of the chapters of the book that talks about having kids in the face of climate change. So <laughs> that exact sentiment has definitely been echoed. Awesome. All right. I want to bring on a caller, Carl from Santa Rosa. Carl, go ahead. Yeah, I want to say I adopted two children, my two lovely children, 20 years ago. And I, my decision to go to adoption had to do with, um, I was a single dad, uh, but really thinking about climate change, overpopulating the planet, and just really feeling like it's time to take care of the kids that are already here. And I adopted two. And then I did think about having a third child. And I had to wake up one day and say, who is all you can do? And it was a very hard decision, uh, both from a financial perspective and just a you know, time, energy, resource perspective. And, you know, I had the means to have children other ways, but my decision was really driven by the climate change and overpopulation issues in our world. Yeah. Thanks, Carl. Um, Jordan, I mean, adoption is a whole other bucket and, and you have a whole chapter dedicated to it. Have you, is, is what Carl's talking about, does that ring true to you that some folks um, decided to go maybe alternate routes to the traditional uh, sort of, you know, historic parenting route? Yes. So I think that for people who expressed concerns about the climate and overpopulation, they were more interested in adoption and adopting children who need homes. Of course, adoption is a very complex and complicated topic. And there are, it really depends on how you come to adoption. A lot of people think of adopting babies. When it comes to adopting babies, there are about 80 to 100 prospective parents for every infant. And there's a lot of children in foster care. You know, the average age of a child in foster care is eight. And some of those children will be reunified with their biological families and others have been approved for adoption. So that's always a great route to go to. But adoption can be incredibly cost prohibitive if you're looking to adopt an infant or, you know, even with some of the court cases that we're seeing in the country, challenges for families, um, queer families in adopting because a lot of adoption agencies are religiously affiliated. And so it's often not as simple, even though as we talk about adoption yeah. as it being something simple of, oh, you know, you can just adopt. Uh, the road to adoption is often very complicated and long. Mm -hmm. And can be expensive as well. Um, Noel tweets, stop seeing as an individual choice. Look at the systemic causes. People are striking since conditions to raise a child and have a normal family life we are accustomed to do not exist. We need nationally subsidized child care now. Similarly, Sarah says, I'm hesitant to have kids because I'm alone, work 40 hours a week and can barely afford myself. And we have a few minutes before break. I want to bring in Michelle from San Francisco. Michelle, go ahead. 
Yeah. Hi. Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm actually having this conversation right now with my partner. A couple of years ago, I graduated nursing school. Him and I both live in San Francisco. We make good money. We actually have the space for a child. We have like what we can turn into a nursery. We have an extra bedroom, but we don't have childcare. That's a big issue. You know, what What are we going to do when we need to put the, the kid in daycare? We do make okay money. And we think about it, like, do we want to go from living a comfortable lifestyle here to struggling every day? You know, it's it's not something that is really appealing to us in this moment. And it's funny because when my friends tell me they're having children, I'm like, in this economy? Are you are you kidding me? <laughs> so um, it's it's just kind of this thing that I always say. And, and I'm getting to the age where doctors are asking me, and especially since I had endometriosis, I had a couple surgeries these past couple years and they're saying you know if you if you want to have a kid you got to start trying now now's the time right after the surgery start trying and it's like I, it's not even even lighting a fire under my behind to do it even with that because it's it's scary to to maybe live in poverty for 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 having children you know yeah. it's it's not something that we're thrilled about <laughs> thank you michelle i really appreciate your call and that honesty I mean, Michelle hits on several points, Jordan. We'll get back to them after the break. Um, and I do want to just put another call out to our listeners. We're talking about why many Gen Z and millennials are wrestling with whether or not to have kids. We want to hear your stories. Um, you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Are you, were you reluctant to have kids? Share your story with us. Or did you struggle with the decision but ultimately decide to go ahead with having children? We want to hear from you. And we have Jordan Davidson here. She's a health journalist and editorial director at Health and the author of So When Are You Having Kids? The definitive guide for those who aren't sure when, if, or how, if, when, or how they want to become parents. And Jordan can answer your questions. So give us a call. We'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We are talking about why fewer Americans are having children these days. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. And with me this morning is Jordan Davidson, health 
uh, journalist and author of So When Are You Having Kids? And I'd like to bring into our conversation now Van Ethan Levy. They're a marriage and family therapist and a licensed professional clinical counselor. Hey, Van. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, so uh, as we discussed at the top, you know, there's so many different reasons people do or don't decide to have children. And I know that in both your personal and professional life, um, you talk and work a lot with folks who are non-binary and trans, um, which I think adds a, a whole other obviously complicating layer to this. So can you talk for some personally, how have you thought about whether or not you want to be a parent? Well, the reality in my situation is that that choice was almost what was pretty much taken away from me. So we live in a very transphobic world that um, basically tells us that there's only male and female and that in order to be one of those two identities, you have to do X, Y and Z. So when I was 18, in order to be seen for who I was, I had to choose being male, even though I was assigned female at birth and told that men don't have ovaries. And so basically forced into sterilization. So my choice was taken away from me about 18 years old. Wow. And what do you, I mean, when you think about that, is it something, obviously, I think it would be emotional whether or not you now want to have children, but is it something that you, you know, do you think your decision would be different if you had that choice? I absolutely do. Um, I think that I most likely would have considered more about having my own child uh, had I had more time, space, and education to be able to unpack the ways I've internalized what gender is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you hear from clients that you're working with around this? What do they share with you about their feelings about parenthood, their anxieties, their hopes? So there's so many layers to that question. So most of the time, especially somebody who hasn't even learn that they can unpack all these harmful messages are still kind of in that state of in order for me to really be, you know, insert identity, I have to get rid of my reproductive organs. And so the the focus tends to be around unpacking that before potentially any decisions are made. Um, a lot of the anxieties as well, like additional layers is if you go into a doctor, most likely the first thing that they're going to do, even when you call in or walk into the office is ma'am or sir you or misgender you and having to navigate these different systems of not only having to constantly correct people, but hoping that they're not going to kick you out of the office, hoping that they're going to treat you with dignity and respect, hope that they're not going to argue with you. Um, so these are just very like beyond tip of the iceberg of a lot of the stuff that we're unpacking, holding space for, learning to create safety plans with or how to navigate to get to the goals that the person is wanting. Yeah. And I imagine, and we kind of touched on this before with adoption, but even if you can sort of move through those emotional challenges, there's the financial challenge if you're genderqueer or queer. Building a family is way more complicated in a lot of ways, or it can be, right? Yes. And especially the, so if we look at the U.S. statistics of the average yearly salary for a trans person, it's $10,000, right? That's not even sustainable for an individual, let alone having a child. That's wild. Um, uh, Van Ethan Levy, I know that you participated in Jordan's book. I'm just curious, like what your message would be to folks out there who are thinking about this, um, particularly in the trans and non-binary community? I think just finding as much support as you can and finding ways to affirm yourself and finding people who can affirm you, because most of the time when you're navigating the medical system and or adoption and or basically any space outside of your own community, you're most likely going to endure 
constant chronic continuous transphobic micro macro aggressions. So finding ways of how to respond to it and or to show up for yourself in a way so that you can get through it so that you can end up with what it is that you're hoping for. Well, that uh, is super helpful. Van Ethan Levy is a licensed marriage and family therapist and professional clinical counselor. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you again for having me. Yeah. So we are continuing to talk about why the birth rate is down, why especially many Gen Z and millennials are wrestling with whether or not to have kids. And Jordan Davidson, um, obviously you talked to Van for your book, and I know that you really work to make this a very inclusive work, that it's, you know, it's not just for straight, uh, you know, heterosexual cis uh, folks. Um, can you talk about what you just heard from Van and, and how that kind of resonates with communities that, that maybe, you know, sort of struggle to be accepted in our society? It's interesting because when I was doing research for the book, a lot of the studies that I came across found that LGBTQ folks had less of a desire to become parents. And in speaking to people, that's really not true. It's just the narrative, the hurdles that they anticipate facing the, you know, push of, oh, if you really are going to be a man or a woman, then your body should do X, Y, and Z, makes people feel like they can't be and that parenthood is unattainable to them. So it's not that queer people desire or gender nonconforming people desire parenthood any less than anyone else. In fact, I found that they think more about parenthood and family planning more than cisgendered couples and uh, individuals. And so we really need to do a better job of supporting queer and gender nonconforming people throughout their journey to parenthood so that they can have the tools that they need to build their families as well. Yeah. I mean, Jeff tweets, in addition to whether couples decide to have kids, it's important to also know that half of births in the U.S. are unplanned. Uh, Jordan, it, it seems like that was a theme in your book, talking to folks that some people just go, you know what, I'm not going to not try. <laughs> I'm just going to like see what what nature what happens with nature. Um, and that got me thinking, like, do you feel like folks who decided not to have kids that you interviewed had more kind of clearly articulated reasons versus those who chose to have kids? Definitely. So people who are on the fence or who don't have kids or who are debating have a lot of really strong reasons why they don't want kids or why they're on the fence. And then when you talk to people who do have kids or are making that decision, it's really different. They cite things like emotional fulfillment, wanting to please their partner. So some people who are on the fence have a partner who wants kids and they say, okay, you know what, that pushes me into the I'm going to have kids camp. Uh, they want to satisfy a biological urge. Some people will cite a gut feeling, you know, I've always known I want to have kids or they want to further their family's legacy, pass down the name, continue uh, generational ties. And that's really different than the you know not feeling optimistic about the future, concerns about climate change and financial difficulties. But also those reasons that people have kids, you know, if it's religious or cultural or for family reasons, those can also be pressures. 
So it's not always sometimes where people are excited about those things, but saying like, oh, I feel pressured from my family or from my religion or from my culture to have children. And so I don't want to say that one side is more optimistic and one side is more pessimistic because it's really complicated, the decision-making that brings people to having children. But to your earlier point of, you know, almost half, I think it's about 40% of pregnancies are unintended. And it's interesting because children provide what researchers call uncertainty reduction. Uh, As humans, we're really inclined to not want to be anxious and to reduce uncertainty. And having children can actually help reduce this uncertainty because it provides a set life path. And so sometimes people, you know, in trying to reduce this anxiety, want to plan, but other times it's kind of just like, you know, a, a let go and see what happens and and let the universe make a decision. That's always felt to me like you, you want to have the kid. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. I have two children and I I was joking to the producers ahead of this. Like if we had done the math, we may not have had a second because like you can't I mean, a you can't factor it for everything. But it is, I think, a a more sort of intangible desire often. Right. Um, I want to bring in another caller, Sean from Oakland. Sean, go ahead. Um, yes, I really like the the direction that this conversation just took, because what I was calling in to say is that, you know, humans generally um, desire to have children. And even though a lot of the pregnancies are, you know, I wouldn't say unintended, but unplanned, you know, people around the world find a way to care for children. And so previously, as I was listening to the call, it's people were talking about children as if they were property. Well, I don't have enough money to care for a child or the climate change issues are concerning to me. But around the world, people with very little care for children. And some of them are, you know, not in desirable circumstances. I acknowledge that. But but what we as humans desire is to see our legacy go on, to to reproduce, to care, to care for someone, to have a long-term connection to the community beyond our own bodies. And economics should not be the final factor that you consider because you can have very little and still make it happen for your for your children. In fact, that motivates you yeah, to, to press forward. For sure. And I think, yeah, thank you, Sean. That's a really thoughtful call. I appreciate it. I mean, Jordan, Sean hits on something that we were just discussing, but also something like I thought of when I was reading some of this, which is like, has there ever been a good time in the history of the world to have children? (laughs) Right? Like, I mean, obviously, right now, there's different factors, but I can imagine, you know, going back through the centuries that there's always probably been some anxieties on people's minds about sort of the state of the world and, and human suffering. Exactly. I don't really think there has been a point in history which you could say this was the best time to have children. A lot of the expectations that we place on people around your parenthood being this step really comes from the baby boom era. So if you're looking at like the the 50s to the 70s, And you could argue that that would have been the best time to have children. But at the same time, you know, we had a lot of racial injustice and inequality then too. So 
it's really hard to pinpoint and say for certain groups of people during certain times, yes, sometimes we're probably more prosperous or it would have been easier to have children. But also, you know, during the baby boom period, that's when women were expected to stay home and be the primary caretaker. And for a lot of people, that's not a very enticing option. And so, no, there it would be almost impossible to say universally this is this was the decade to have children yeah. and yet the birth rate is down so this isn't just like you know a theoretical thing um Catherine wrote on instagram my adult children were never pressured into providing grandchildren it's a very personal decision based on so many factors my daughter is a grade school assistant teacher and a ballet instructor while trying to finish college live with her boyfriend have a dog and a fish tank she and her guy will probably have a child in a few years her older brother is not going to have children it's definitely sad that my son feels that the world is a horrible place to put another human into. He's correct, but to me, it's always been horrible, but also incredibly beautiful. So kind of on that same... uh Amy writes, Amy writes, I never planned to have kids. I saw it as career suicide. I was on track until I met an amazing man who dances with me. I express all my fears about the medical system, financial issues, climate change, that my family would be totally unhelpful. We agreed to a one child compromise. And you know what? All my fears were well founded. Daycare was almost as expensive as my mortgage. I had to change jobs. But the upside is that we're very lucky, got through it and have a wonderful kid. But no one should ever belittle people's reasons for not having kids. Thank you for that, Amy. And I want to bring in another caller, Alex in Santa Cruz. Alex, go ahead. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'm just a I'm a software engineer. I live at home with my parents in Santa Cruz. I'm 24 years old. I commute to Palo Alto every day for work. Um, and, you know, I make a, a pretty good salary. I make $120,000 per year. Uh, I have a partner, kind of unusually, who's eight years older than me. Um, and, you know, I'm not ready to have kids now, um, but, you know, I think I'd like to have them, you know, one day. Uh, and I think for a lot of people my age, like that Gen Z millennials you're talking about, uh, it is very much an affordability thing. Um, and then kind of for me also mixed in there is a time thing, right? You know, uh, she doesn't know, you know, when is kind of the cutoff, you know, to not have kids. I know people have kids a lot older, but, um, you know, there are health risks that, that increase as, as your age goes up. Um, and, you know, uh, as other people on the show have mentioned, uh, I can't even afford my own place. Right. So, um, you know, with that out of the picture, I think kids is, is an even greater reach for most people, uh, particularly here in the Bay Area where, you know, you might you know, think you're, you've got a good job and a good career. But, um, you know, you look at the cost of everything combined, particularly now. And to me, the only way I could have kids is if, you know, I was like Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, started some startup and cashed out for millions. So uh, that's kind of my perspective. I think, that, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of, you know, just disillusionment, um, you know, with that kind of career path, you know, that path of just, you know, owning a home and having kids and all those things that used to be considered very standard. So yeah. that's kind of my my perspective. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Jordan, I wonder, I mean, if... <sighs> We live in a very expensive city, as do you, New York, San Francisco, Bay Area. Um, but, you know, and some of the things you've talked about are people's like, you know, can I even afford to, to house a family? But there's also just ideas of like the ideals that we want, right? I mean, it, it, you may have to give up something to if you want to have children. It may not be, you know, as big of a house or as perfect of a house as you like. And I know um, you interviewed someone in, in the book, Brian, who... Um, 
had to, I think, sell their house to end up having a surrogate. So what do you hear from people about these sacrifices and like that trade off, whether maybe it's not we can't afford it, but will we have the lifestyle we want? Lifestyle is definitely a factor that people consider. And for some people, they like their child-free lifestyle. And so that puts them you know, firmly into the child-free camp because they don't want to make those sacrifices. One of the biggest things that I heard from people who do have children and struggled financially either before deciding to have children or now that they have children you know, is that you make it work. And it can be really hard to see how you make it work before you're actually making it work. You know, you're not going out as much when you have children. So all of a sudden the money that you spent on going out and doing things, you know, that helps to pay for things. Of course, it doesn't necessarily chip into the exorbitant cost of daycare, but sometimes, you know, some of the costs can even out in terms of things of you know, buying baby gear versus, you know, you're saving money on going out to dinner. But those things and those sacrifices have to be things that people want to opt into. And I think for people who feel very apprehensive, knowing that they're going to have to make those sacrifices can be really difficult and unappealing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> luckily they do, the, the daycare costs at least significantly drop off once they start school. But it is, I mean, remarkable, I think, especially in these urban areas that, yeah, you might pay more for childcare than you do for housing, and housing is already so exorbitantly high. Um, just on that note, Steve writes, uh, well, do you find that there's a geographic difference in the choice to have kids in terms of where the cost of living? Is there a political difference between Democrats and Republicans? It seems like a lot of this was pretty widespread, right, Jordan? A lot of it was pretty widespread. I would say that people who tend to be a little more liberal politically uh, have more fears around climate change than um, the Republicans that I have seen. Um, people who live in major cities or cities that have been more affected by climate change also tend to have those concerns more. Uh, people who have loftier career goals or higher education tend to um, be more leaning towards being child free. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that play into it as well. And it's a personal decision. We're talking with Jordan Davidson, the health journalist and author of So When Are You Having Kids about your decision to have children or not. You can still call us at 866-733-6786 or tweet us or get us in touch on Facebook at KQED Forum. We'll be right back after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. Marisa Lagos here and Fermina Kim today. We're talking with Jordan Davidson, author of the book, So When Are You Having Kids? The definitive guide for those who aren't sure if, when, or how they want to become parents. It is chock full of really good thoughts and research. So if you're on the fence, I would suggest checking it out. Jordan, we've talked a lot about the cost of having kids, but I also wonder about the cost of not having kids. I mean, you mentioned in the book social capital as something that you know, having a family can lead to. And I I will say as a reporter, I felt like when I became a parent, it did open up sort of another door of connection to a lot of people like that I was interviewing and things, right? It is a very singular experience. Um, How how did people think about that? Or or is that something they should think about? I'm not sure it's necessarily something that people should think about. I know a lot of people feel like it's harder to make friends as you get older. And so becoming a parent gives you a new identity. And that identity is, you know, being a parent, mom or dad or whatever parenting title you choose to go by. And so for people, you know, you can become friends with your kids' parents. You have different communities now that you're part of. It's a change in life experience. And so sometimes that's the reason that people do want to have kids is because they feel like they've achieved a bunch of different things that they wanted for themselves. So whether that's, you know, their goals in their career or they met a partner and they, you know, are happy with their life, but feel like they could have something more. And so this idea of having a different identity or getting to be parts of different communities, that's really enticing for them. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily something that people should think about unless they are, you know, sitting with their lives and thinking about, you know, what's next for me? And I'm, uh, I don't want to say bored, but thinking about, you know, what they can do to open themselves up to new opportunities. Did you hear from anyone, though, that I I know, like, it can be challenging if you choose not to have children, but your social group all does? Like, is that something you heard folks talk about who did make the choice to not have kids? That's definitely one of the hardest things that child-free people face is feeling left behind. Mm. So people decide that they don't want to have children and then they see their friend group become parents and all of a sudden, you know, the conversation shifts to talking about kids or sometimes child-free people can feel belittled. So they're hanging out with their friends who are parents and they say, oh, you don't know stress or you don't know being tired until you have kids. And that can feel really invalidating. So child-free people often look for child-free communities because they feel left behind or belittled or like their experiences aren't valid because we live in a society that's thought to be very pronatalistic, which means that... New word I learned from you, Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, it's so funny because I, I'm so immersed in this research that I forget that this word isn't necessarily known to everyone, but you're not the first person to have told me that recently, especially. Um, but we live in a very pronatalistic society, which means that society upholds being a parent as the normal and natural thing to do. It's this milestone. It's this stepping stone in life that it's, you know, you, you go to school, you meet someone, you buy a home, you have kids. It's that's kind of the the recipe that we're told to follow. And society nowadays, we have this pronatalist label on the face, but actually a lot of real antinatalism that's deeply rooted in our system. So, you know, without paid parental leave, flexible workplaces, and other incentives for parents, choosing to have kids often comes down to what you're willing to sacrifice, whether that's economic stability, your future career path, you know, or having kids. Yeah. Um, I We're getting so many great calls, so I want to bring in a few more. Lindsay is calling from San Bernardino. Lindsay, go ahead. Hi, um, I was just calling because I can relate to this conversation. I myself am 33 and I, my husband and I were not going to have kids. Um, that was a conversation we had pretty often. Um, and lo and behold, I got pregnant on my IUD. And so my daughter is now 18 months old. And the lifestyle change that has allowed us to... Live, I guess, in this um, came with a lot of sacrifice. Um, you know, I used to work about six days a week, and probably about there's more take home than you do now. Lindsay, I'm so sorry, but we're having trouble with your line. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I have to think. Maybe try calling us back. Um, uh, Jordan, is that something you've heard before, though? Like, I mean, it was, we talked about a lot of pregnancies are unplanned. So folks do, I guess, often make it work if they decide to go through with, with having a baby. Definitely. That's something that I heard from a lot of parents, especially I interviewed a few people who got pregnant and had children as teenagers. And, you know, they made it work. And a lot of people make it work. But making it work comes with a lot of sacrifice. And for people who don't feel a strong pull or desire to become parents, that sacrifice isn't very enticing. Yeah, definitely. All right. We have another caller, Kath, from San Francisco. Go ahead, Kath. My mother was raised authoritarian, and in that way, she raised me. I know I got better than what she got growing up. And neat little stories about that to illustrate that, but I will continue. Uh, I chose not to have children at age 24 because my mother was emotionally abusive to me. And I knew I would not know how to raise a child without putting them to an unfair standard. And I did not want to pass that abuse on to some little person that I would love and, you know, be responsible for all their therapy. So uh, that was the reason I chose. Things were okay financially. Also, there wasn't a person in my life I wanted to share raising a child with, and I believe in uh, a village raising a child. So that's my reason for not. 
Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Kath. Uh, that's something I wanted to ask you about, Jordan. I mean, we've talked about climate change and the cost and all these other things, but mental health is a big decision here. And I think something that, that even more, I know I know, Kath um, says she made that decision several decades ago, but what did you hear from folks about how their own traumas, life experiences, mental health is impacting this choice? Trauma is definitely a reason that some people choose not to have children, especially people who had difficult childhoods. And like Katha said, whose parents had authoritarian parenting styles or abusive or neglectful parenting styles. A lot of people feel like they might not have the tools that they need. You know, we become exposed to parenting and learn how to parent by watching our parents do it. And of course, that there are books and tools and therapy and so many resources for people to unlearn those things and learn how to parent in more effective ways. But that takes work and it can be really hard to unlearn decades of that sort of, you know, witnessing that sort of behavior. And so for some people, there's a real fear that They might not have the tools that they need to parent successfully. But I've also heard the opposite from people who their experience of having less than ideal or significantly less than ideal parents made them want to become parents because they had, you know, parent-child wounds that they wanted to heal and felt that they could heal by doing a better job, by putting in that work and, you know, therefore having a satisfying parent-child relationship, the one that they didn't have as a child, by having it in adulthood and, you know, fostering that for their children. So, you know, this entire time we've been talking about how it is an incredibly individualistic decision. And that can really be said of everything, including trauma. And you make clear, though, that past doesn't have to be prologue, right? That there is a lot of evidence out there that people can break these cycles and and sort of move forward. 100%. And studies fully support the idea that most people who were abused as children do not become abusive parents. We're talking with Jordan Davidson, health journalist and editorial director at Health, about her new book, So When Are You Having Kids? The Definitive Guide for Those Who Aren't Sure If, When, or How They Want to Become Parents. Um, Andrew writes, I'm on the border between millennials and Gen Z. Suppressed wages and inflated markets while being saddled with student debt are forcing us to focus on physiological needs before love and family. Not only that, but the instability of the job market and job hopping to keep up with salaries make us extremely transient, unable to spend time long enough somewhere to sit down roots. We'll likely be called the baby bus generation unless policymakers and corporations give us the proper avenue, salaries, and free time to have children or buy homes. And um, Anne writes that my good friend adopted three siblings through foster adopt. They're now all adults and doing well. After getting approved as foster parents, they had staff supporting them through the process. They received a monthly stipend and free medical care, including counseling for each child through age 18. So many youth need parents. I hope more people consider this option. Jordan, is is foster to adopt something uh, you looked into? Yes, and I did speak to people who were interested in foster to adopt or had pursued foster to adopt. And, you know, those services that foster parents get, the medical care, the stipends and things like that, that can make fostering feasible for people. Um, But it's 
it can also be a challenge because sometimes the biological parents and often actually the biological parents don't get those same resources. And so there are states and programs that are working and prioritizing reunification with biological families because of, you know, history of social injustice of brown and black children being separated from their biological parents at higher rates than other children. And so there's a lot of social factors that come into fostering and adoption that, you know, those are really great avenues and there are children who definitely need homes but as i said earlier you know it's it's a very complicated topic yeah absolutely uh, another listener writes my fiance and i are cusp millennials from a financial standpoint it's difficult to wrap our heads around how to afford raising a child in the bay area both my partner and i also carry a plethora of physical and mental health conditions that can be hereditary so it's hard imagining bringing a child into a broken system while passing the them the burdens of poor health. It's difficult to comprehend bringing a new life into a dying world. With all that said, I've wanted to be a father my entire life. Approaching this topic, I feel as though I'm weighing my personal biological drive against the future well-being of my hypothetical child. Perhaps one day I'll find more clarity around this, but as of now, I feel nothing but conflicted anxiety. We are talking about uh, why the birth rate is down and many Gen Z and millennials are wrestling with whether or not to have kids. We're hearing your stories and you're listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. All right. We have another caller here. Art from Santa Rosa. Art, go ahead. Yes. Hi. Thank you. Years ago, back in the 60s, uh, I used to write to my aunt uh, before we had Internet and phones <laughs> and so forth. And um uh, I wrote that uh, I felt I didn't want to have any children. Uh, we had uh, too many people. And she wrote back saying that I was selfish. Hmm. Well, look what's happened today. If we were a little more selfish, we wouldn't be overpopulated. We're at 8 billion now. And people that have more than three, uh, two kids, I consider be selfish. I've seen religious sects out there that have on the average of four children. And I think religion also has a big part to play in promoting more people. Our planet is dying. We need to think about really decreasing our population. All right. Thank you, Art. We appreciate the call. I mean, Jordan, what we're talking about is actually, at least in America, the birth rate is down right now. Is yes. That, and so we're seeing that other places, is, too. Sorry. Uh, and it's not just here, right? No, the birth rate is down definitely in a lot of more industrialized nations. But it's not like having a child in the U.S. is not the same as having a child you know, in places in Africa or in India, especially in terms of carbon footprint. Right. Uh, children born in industrialized nations have much larger footprints than counterparts other other places. So it's very hard to talk about population growth in a socially responsible way because not all children have the same, you know, environmental consumption and not all births in terms of carbon footprint are equal. Yeah. 
We have a, a listener who also writes, I'm a millennial who just finished a PhD focused on global climate change. As a Mexican-American growing up in the Bay Area, I have a huge family. It was always expected of me to have multiple kids. But studying climate change as a career and looking at emissions data, it's hard to decouple the fact that Americans emit the most over our lifetime compared to any other global citizen. So definitely something on folks' minds. Um, is 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 in your research though like does not having a child mean that you're sort of fighting climate change like does is there a, a specific link there yes so there is a study that found that the best thing that you can do for the climate is have one fewer child and so researchers aren't saying don't have children they're saying you know think about your family plans and have less children. So having two children is the rate of replacement and having one child would then therefore carb um, curve, sorry, curve your carbon footprint because you part of your child's carbon footprint goes on throughout the generations. Mm-hmm. And so really that is the, the best thing that you can do. I mean, I, I think I'm trying to remember the exact number, but it was something like 678 teens recycling wouldn't even, you know, add up to the carbon footprint of having one fewer child. And so by far, you know, that was the best thing that you can do, followed by using public transportation, limiting flights and uh, adopting a more plant based diet. Okay. Well, I'm curious, like you dove into this in part because of your own journey. And did anything you learned or any of these conversations change your mind or or shift your thinking? I think it made me feel more confident. So I decided that I do want to have children, uh, but it has been hard for me to both get and then stay pregnant. And so it has been a very conscious decision to, you know, continue trying down that route and has come with a lot of sacrifice. And it has helped me feel more confident in my decision to do that. But it also, you know, I I talked at the start of this that I was 24 when doctors kind of urged me to decide. And now I'm 31. And a lot of the research and talking to people, you know, made me feel more confident, yes, in my decision to pursue the path that I am pursuing, but also to wait uh, 24 would not, I would not have been a good parent at 24. Uh, and probably, you know, I didn't really start trying until my very late twenties and early thirties. And I think that I would be a good parent now because I took the time to think about it and to do the work and, you know, to plan and figure out what would I need to feel in order to be comfortable making that decision. And so, Yes, like talking to people and working on this book really helped me. And I hope that it can help other people as well. That is Jordan Davidson. Jordan is health journalist and editorial director of health and author of So When Are You Having Kids? The Definitive Guide for Those Who Aren't Sure If, When, or How They Want to Become Parents. Jordan, thank you for your book, your time, and and good luck on your journey. 
Thank you so much. And thanks for having me here today. This was a, a great conversation. And so much of what I heard really, you know, mimics what was covered in the book. Yeah, thanks to our listeners. That was a great convo. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. We'll be back tomorrow. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.